Wednesday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. We're talking a little bit of NFC South today. Obviously, uh, this is a division that, if you're anything like me, it's shaping up a little bit differently from how you expected it to shape up during the preseason. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here. And if you were the person that had the Falcons and Buccaneers 1-2, with the Falcons being the only team above 500 in the NFC South, please raise your hand. Mark Schofield, I'm guessing it was not you. Wasn't me, man. I mean, I'm I'm betting most people had this flipped. You think most people this had, entire division? You think most people at Atlanta at the bottom at one and four? You know, kind of coming out of week five. I, I don't know if you know one and four, but I mean, I think going into the season, most people would have had Carolina at the top of the division. Then you know maybe New Orleans. You know that defense was still going to be a question mark anyway. But you know maybe with that offense, they'd have enough firepower to win high scoring games. You know, and then you know Tampa Bay. You know Winston. Looked good at the end of last year. And Atlanta, I mean, there was a big question mark. People were wondering, you know, is Matt Ryan the real deal? Or is it time to cut bait with him? So, you know, to have it sort of flip the way it is, it's been an interesting division so far. I mean, we're only through five games for each team. So there's a lot of football left to be played. But, I mean, look at what Atlanta did this week. They go into Denver and get a win. Obviously, the Broncos, they had to start Paxton Lynch. They weren't at 100%, but still. That was a big win. Well, and, and, and let's start with Atlanta, and let's talk about what they are doing at this point. Matt Ryan, you mentioned, you know, a lot of people were kind of coming to that, look, do, is it Fisher cut bait time for Matt Ryan? 31 years old, is he going to be able to, you know, again, not be the guy for the long run? Because I think when you're a 31-year-old quarterback, the long run just isn't, you know, as long as most people think then. But the question I think people had is, look, is, is he the guy who can at least get us through the next four to five years and still give us a chance? What have you seen from Ryan this year? Is there anything different this year than what you've seen previously? I love what Kyle Shanahan is doing with this offense. I have I did a piece last week on how they're using 13 personnel. They've got three tight ends and Jacob Tammy, Levine Toyolo, and Austin Hooper, the rookie out of Stanford. They can, they're nice little compliments to each other. They use do things differently. I mean, Toil is your basic third tight end blocking type guy. Hooper's a bit more athletic. Tammy's kind of the, you know, what you'd expect your starting tight end to be. He can do a little bit of everything. And I love the way that they use 13 personnel, obviously in the run game, but also in the passing game. I mean, you know, they got that throwback to Hooper, which they got for a big game against Oakland and then a touchdown against Carolina. And then that win two weeks ago. So they can beat you with that. They can beat you, obviously, just throwing the ball to Julio Jones. I mean, the guy is still an incredible wide receiver that does virtually everything flawlessly, especially when he's healthy and at the top of his game, like he was against Carolina when he had 300 yards receiving, where he was catching the ball well, running great routes, winning off the line of scrimmage, contributing as a blocker. But then you look at what they did this weekend in Denver. Denver's got a great defense, a great secondary, two incredible cornerbacks in Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris. And they sort of ran that playbook that New England wanted to run in the AFC Championship game, where you spread them out a bit and get your backs out of the backfield and get them matched up on linebackers in space and beat them that way. And they did that well. I mean... I'm pulling up the box score right now, but what did Tevin Coleman have? I think he had like, you know, 100 receiving yards or more last week. Yeah, Coleman had uh, it was four receptions, 132 yards. Yeah, I mean, so what they were doing, they were spreading him out and letting him work on linebackers. And you know, we've talked about that a lot, particularly when we've talked about New England and how 
you force the defense make a decision when you spread guys out and empty the backfield. Do you put linebackers on tight ends or do you, if you split a you know a tight end or a running back out wide, do you sacrifice a cornerback on that guy? I mean, when you split Tevin Coleman outside, you don't expect Chris Harris or Akeem Talib to rotate over to that guy, especially when you've got Julio Jones out there. Jones was held pretty much in check. He only had two catches, I think, for, on six targets, but it didn't matter. Because they were, Shanahan was able to empty the backfield, get the matchups he wanted with guys like Tolman on linebackers and exploit them that way in the passing game. Well, and it's interesting to look at this because Ryan right now is on pace to have 371 completions over the course of the season. He's also on pace to have 99 of those to running back. So you're talking about 30% of Ryan's completions so far this year are going to running backs. And, you know, I, I think it does speak to the fact that, look, People look, if you're just looking at Tevin Coleman as a traditional running back, he's got 160 yards, he's averaging 3.5 a carry. There's not a whole lot there if you're looking for that. But when then you wake up and you say, wait a minute, Coleman's on pace to have a 1,000-yard receiving season as a running back, you realize that this is, it's not an offense that is pigeonholing players into roles. They're able to move and, as you say, move pieces around the board to get those matchups, and they're doing it on a very frequent basis. Yeah, and you know, you cite those numbers. I mean, what was it, three point five, three point nine per carry for Coleman? Yep, three five. Three five. I mean, you know that well, you don't know as a defense what he comes into the game, what they're gonna do with him. It's not like he's averaging, you know, one point nine yards per carry. He's really just in there, you know, to show running game at times, you know, just use him on a toss play or something to show the run game, but he's really there as a pass catching back out of the backfield. He can do it both. You can run him and Coleman again, they like to use him. Coming back to that 13 personnel package I was talking about, they like to do some stuff with him in the run game out of that 13 personnel. They like to use him on that 13 personnel look as well. So, again, Shanahan's doing some really good stuff. And, you know, about that Carolina game, Jones hit 300 yards on his final catch of the afternoon when you've got about, you know, three minutes left and they're looking to run some clock. It's an eight-point game. It's a one-score game, and you expect them to run the ball. They come out 21 personnel in the I formation. You're thinking run. They go a little Yankee concept with Sanu over the top on the deep host route and Jones on the quick slant. You've got the defense thinking run. They've stacked the box. They're playing cover one. And you've got a guy like Jones who can beat a guy off the line of scrimmage, who can beat press off the line of scrimmage, and basically send a guy to free agency because Ben Wickery is now, you know, I guess he's with Miami now. But we've, yeah. we, we've all been there. We all go to Miami when, we, when our time is up. So this that's, is true. that's just how I it mean, works. It's America's retirement home, Florida, it's, right? It, it's what we do. Let's let's talk a little bit about, obviously, the Falcons here. By the way, they have another tough test coming up on the road against the Seahawks this week. So another test for that offense to see how they do in a hostile environment against a very strong defensive team. Let's move down the list a little bit. Tampa Bay Buccaneers in second place in the division, sitting here at 2-3. and three. Biggest thing that stands out to me is an offense that – I think we thought was not necessarily coming of age, but at least was going to be competitive in today's NFL, struggling to get going. Really, again, you're talking about an offense right now that when you look at it in terms of points scored on a per-game basis, just is not doing what it needs to do. I believe it's somewhere around fifth from the bottom in the NFL. What are we seeing here? Are we really going to start talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with offense? I'm going to start with I know offense. it's not kicker Friday, but I'm going to start with offense. I mean, look, technically kickers are offense, so do you want to start there? 
don't we have to? Yeah, let's 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 chat a little bit about Aguayo. I watched his uh, his most recent game where he did have the uh, the game winning kick against the Carolina Panthers on Monday night. Uh, that capped off a subpar three for five night. Aguayo's now five or four for eight on the season uh, for field goals. If we then go over and take a look at how Aguayo's doing on extra points. We're not seeing a whole lot better. Eight for nine, still below 90%. You're not where you want to be there. And in particular, Aguayo's got two major issues. He's got one, and this I wrote about during uh, when I was scouting him. His skip step comes too early sometimes, and it takes his kicks left. That is still happening too much. And then we saw another issue develop in the preseason, which is where his body posture gets so hunched over that he can't clear his hips and he pushes the kick right. He's doing both of those things right now. And, you know, he's he's not consistent the way he needs to be at this point. Most of his misses happening from 40 to 49 yards. He's 3 of 4 from 30 to 39. So, you know, it's not a distance thing. He's got the leg to hit it. He's booming kickoffs through the end zone. So, it's not a leg strength problem. It's it, it's up it's between the ears. And it, it I hate I hate to say it's even a problem because young kickers go through this. This is this is the norm. This this is not the exception. The average young kicker struggles off the bat. It's just no one's paying attention to them because they were taken as an undrafted free agent, and no one really cares. With Aguayo, look, uh, he, he, they traded up to get him in the second round. That is what you are now tasked with living up to, and it's not fair, but that's the deal, kid. It's, it's, it's not going to be fair. So with Aguayo, again, Tampa Bay at this point, you know they're kind of stuck in neutral this year. He hasn't shown what he needs to do, you know, on a regular basis. Now you give him the year to prove out what he's able to do here. It's it's not going to be pleasant all the time. It's not going to be fun. But look, give the kid a little bit of a chance here. We've seen very good kickers go through similar things later in the season. Stephen Hauschka two years ago went through all kinds of problems in week fourteen and fifteen. Got himself together for the playoffs, no problem. Aguayo, not that kicker yet. Doesn't have the track record but let's give him a chance to fix himself. Let me ask you, you mentioned his tendency to push the ball to the right. Yeah. In that game against Carolina, when they were getting in position for that you know, game-winning field goal try, apparently head coach asked Aguayo where he wanted the ball, which is standard. I mean, that's what head coaches do. I saw some. I actually saw some talk on Twitter, people like questioning why you do that. Head coaches do that ahead of time. They want to know where the kicker is going to be comfortable so they can run plays to get the ball on that hash mark. Aguayo wanted it on the right hash. Does that sort of fit with what you've seen, given how he's pushing it to the right? Does that make sense to you? Well, he's, he's doing both. And, and going into this season, his big thing was he tended to miss left. The, the development missing right is kind of a new development. Aguayo is best kicking from the right hash because with the way he moves through the zone, his ball naturally moves right to left. The, the whole pushing right thing is something new that developed this year, which I don't think he's going to be able to fix right away just because it's a little bit more complicated of a problem than one that he already was familiar with and knew. So, you know, he he wanted the ball in the right hash, and, and, and that matches up with how I've scouted him and that his ball is naturally going to move a little bit more to the left, so the right side is where I'd like to start him. Uh, I'll tell you, though, if, if I'm going out and getting myself a kicker, if I ask the guy, where do you want the ball? I want him to say wherever it is. Like, I don't want to. It, it, Does that rub you the wrong way a little th- bit? There's a, certain, there's a certain respect I have for stoicism in a kicker and just saying, look, put the ball wherever it is. I'll deal with it. 
I want that in a kicker because things are not going to go your way all the time. And I want someone who, you know, it's 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 like any football player. You want someone who, hey, who are you playing today? Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll go out and beat them. You want the same thing from a kicker. That's that's what I want. And so, you know, yeah, I understand that coaches will say, hey, where do you want this? I want my kicker to come back and say, give it to me wherever you need it. You run your plays. You run your offense. I'll deal with the rest. That's that's what I want. So let's should we talk offense now? We could talk offense a little bit if you want. What's what's the deal? I look up. I see Jameis Winston has eight interceptions through five games. Talk to me about how they're happening. This is who Jameis Winston is. This is who he was at Florida State. And this is part of the conversation that we had during his draft evaluation process. People pointed out that, you know, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. When I scouted him, I saw a lot of, especially his last year at Florida State, a lot of forced throws, particularly to Nick O'Leary. I mean, there's a throw, a couple of throws that he made against NC State that come to mind. He's a guy that trusts himself, trusts his arm, and thinks there are times when he can put the ball wherever it needs to be, and you're going to see that, especially in younger quarterbacks. I mean, there's a school of thought that when you're scouting a quarterback, seeing a lot of interceptions, is it always a bad thing? Because they trust themselves and they're willing to challenge throwing windows that maybe some other quarterbacks will shy away from. And when you get to the NFL, you're going to have to challenge those windows. You can't always check the ball down. So, I mean, that's I'm not as concerned about that. And watching their offense through five weeks – what I'm kind of concerned in, last year I did a piece on how Kettner was sort of bringing Winston into the NFL, giving him a lot of half-field reads, mirrored passing concepts, stuff where, you know, like we've seen with Wentz so far, where, you know, he doesn't have to go full field unless he actually has to. You've kind of simplified the read and progression structure for him, giving him some, some, you know, some easier decisions to make in the pocket. They're still kind of doing that. You're still seeing a lot of those type concepts that haven't it's almost like they haven't fully taken the training wheels off and that's what's a little bit concerning because if you're still seeing the high number of interceptions but they're still running this this more i don't want to say basic but less complex offense what's going to happen can they really open it up i mean i guess that's my underlying question is does Kettner like not think that he can fully take the training wheels off right now that's my question well let's let's talk a little bit also about when when we kind of picture the context of all this the options that Winston has that he's throwing to obviously you got Mike Evans you know very solid young receiver now in his third year over a thousand yards his first two on pace to go well over a thousand yards again there's not a whole lot else in the cupboard though when I look at this on the surface you've been watching this team the whole year does that match up with what you've seen I don't want to say they're the cupboard's empty after Evans. I it think, just seems it just seems like the cupboard's average after Evans. Yeah, Jackson has flashes of his old self, I think, but I, I don't think I, I think most people would agree that he's sort of on the back nine. Adam Humphreys is an interesting little third option. I mean, we've kind of seen most teams. You've got an X, you've got an S, and you've got a Z, and they've got that in Evans, your X. Jackson, your Z, and Humphreys, your slot guy. And there are times when Humphreys is a nice, shifty little option. I mean, sort of in that Cole Beasley mode. Cole Beasley, I don't want to go too far off track, but he's a guy that I'm really enjoying watching so far this Ryan year. Ryan Switzer, the next Cole Beasley. Yeah. I, well, I think Switzer, to be fair, has a little bit more to his game than just a slot guy. His athleticism is is really solid for a little guy. 
Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're getting you know, off he's, track. <laughs> I, he's more in that Sterling Shepherd mode, but yep. now we're really okay. But back to Humphreys. Humphreys is, I think, in a, is a nice little piece for that slot type guy. It's just, you're right. It's not quite to that level where you'd like to have your top three receivers. I mean, you know, Humphreys is sort of a step back from a guy like Cole Beasley. Jackson's, you know, not where he used to be. So. There's a lack of consistency in separation. And when you're running sort of, you know, basic or less complex route structures, you need guys to be able to get separation. I mean, gosh, look at Green Bay. My gosh, I want to bang my head against the desk watching that offense work because they're just basically relying on Rodgers to make stuff happen. And it's almost the same way in Tampa Bay where you're running more basic stuff and you're just relying on guys to make stuff happen. And if you don't have the horses in the barn, that where are you going to be? It's it, it really is interesting just to see where this Tampa Bay team is right now just because I, I, I just find the lack of progress on offense to be and, – and as you mentioned, you know, you're looking at it in terms of route structure. I'm looking just in terms of results, and neither of them are matching up with where we thought they'd be. So Now, but look at their schedule, though. They make a trip out west to San Francisco this week, or I guess they're on a bye, so next week. Yep. And then they get home against Oakland. Big game home against Atlanta, and then they get the Bears and the Chiefs. It's you I mean, can make a little bit of a run there. You could. I mean, a, 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 you have a chance. The problem is anytime you get a team traveling east to west, I always discount any kind of result that's going to come out of that just because they pretty much always play like crap. Then you're coming back. you got a Raiders team that's going east. So, I mean, you you got the potential to make a move maybe in that Raiders-Falcons-Bears uh, stretch there. I I, I think they're. I don't. I don't like them against the 49ers, though. I'll say that. Really? I, really? I, and, and look, I like just about anyone against the 49ers. But when you're tra- when you're traveling that far, I mean, keep in mind you're going diagonally north. That's a long flight to get up there. You know, it, when you're talking about going, you know, from Tampa to San Francisco, it's a long haul to get your guys ready to go. Yeah, but you're you're going west though. It's not coming east. I mean, I don't like. Go- I I find coming east easier. Really? I find coming east easier on the body. Mm. I don't know. They always, you always see those late starts from those West Coast teams coming east. They don't seem to wake up until midway through the second quarter. Going west, I'm all strung out. I'm up at like two in the morning and everything. Like it totally messes with what time of day I think I'm playing at. So uh, that's that's just me. You know, um, let's, there's a little jet lag talk for the listeners out there. It's it's what we do. You know, we help you get through. Uh, help you get through the help jet you get lag. Through everything. Yeah. Um, let's see. Saints wanted. Uh, let, let's go to the Panthers. We. We got to go right to the Panthers here. One in four right now. What's what, diagnose the situation? I don't know if I have a real diagnosis, and having seen every single offensive snap of theirs this year, I don't know if I've got a true answer. I think, I think Newton's been banged up, and I think that's definitely contributed to some of the sluggishness on offense since game one. Yeah, and. I don't, not to play armchair psychologist too much, but I think that loss open at night in Denver, I, I don't know if they, I don't know if it was they were really up for that sort of revenge game against the Broncos or what, but, that, you know, that seemed to, that seemed to really sting them a bit. And yeah, I think Newton's been banged up. You know, it, it, it might be a similar thing to what we've seen, what we were just talking about. I mean, I think, Carolina definitely has the offensive weaponry that's a bit above Tampa Bay. I mean, Greg Olson 
having a monster year at tight end. I mean, every week I watch this guy, and it's like, you know, save for one week where he was kind of held in check. I mean, he's putting up big-time numbers. I mean, had over 100 again this past week against um, Tampa Bay on Monday night. Benjamin, he's a big body. I mean, he doesn't run the best routes. I mean, he's not a fluid route runner. He doesn't blow you away. You don't, you know, if I'm going to be coaching kids to play wide receiver, I'm not putting his tape on and saying this is what you should do. But he uses his frame well. But then... You know, I, I want to I want to pause on Benjamin actually because he's a guy that I watched in in the uh, in that opening game against Denver and I I looked at him and I said you know wow a guy with, a guy with that frame who played not not necessarily with the physicality but again knew how to position himself you know in space and use his body to shield himself from defenders and so forth and I look at him and I say. How is he not able to do more? Is it the route running? Is that the big issue there? I think that's a big part of it because he – think about you know when you get to this level, when you're playing in the NFL, you've been able to do things your entire career and get away with bad habits. So think about Kelvin Benjamin even if, you know when he was at Florida State. Yep. He could just use that frame and pretty much outbody almost anybody. Now he gets to the NFL where the guys are bigger and faster, and you can't just rely on the stuff you used to get away with. I mean, stuff he was getting away with in high school and in the ACC would just, you know, you run a band-aid route and you just kind of round it off and you just make sure you get inside leverage. You don't really, you know, try to get the guy's hips turned because you know that as long as you get to the inside somehow, even if he's draped on your back, he has to come over the top of you to make a play on the ball. Well... Now the guys in the NFL have the ability to, if they can't make a play on the ball, they can at least turn it into a contested catch situation. And you saw an interception. I think it was, I don't know, if, it might have even been the Denver game where he's running a slant route and Chris Harris comes right through him and turns what could have been a reception into a contested catch situation. The ball gets tipped in the air and intercepted, I yep. think, by Harris. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about where you've got what used to be an easy catch for him is now a 50-50 situation for him. Is there anything and, is, yeah. is is there anything going on when you look at this Carolina offense? Anything that they're not running that they used to run, you know, successfully that's holding them back here? No, I mean, I, it looks like they're running basically everything that they were having success with last year. It might be a situation where look, guys, coaches, they're paid to scout film, break tape down, and put in a game plan. And the things that they were able to have success with last year, maybe teams have caught up with it a bit. Maybe teams have started to identify tendencies better when they see you know Olsen in the backfield they know what they're going to do they know that you know he's sometimes going to be a lead blocker or there are times when they're going to run boot off of that and release him into the flat I mean these are the types of things that you can have success with teams take a while to catch up to it and then they get a season an off season to kind of break the tape down now they're ready for it so it's a matter of can Carolina make the adjustments going forward offensively throw some wrinkles at them and have you know some success going forward Big one coming for them this weekend against New Orleans down in the Superdome. Yeah, and, and you know those two teams don't like each other. We've seen over the past few years that these are teams that just there's they're all. It seems like when you're either watching another game or you're watching Red Zone, the past couple of years when those two teams play, you usually get the, you know Andrew Siciliano breaking in. Oh, we've got you know a little melee situation down in the Superdome or a little you know guys are coming off the bench here. You know out at is it still Bank of America Field? Uh, Superdome is Mercedes-Benz Superdome, right? Yeah. Are you talking uh, the Panthers in, in uh, is Charlotte? Is it still Bank of America in Charlotte? I forget. I think so. But either way, you, know, you, right. see, 
you know, somebody scores a touchdown, somebody takes offense to it. You've got guys jawing in each other's faces. So those two teams don't like each other. I don't want to say it's a must-win game for both of these teams, but once at one and three, once at one and four, it's hard to get. You know, if you go to you know one and five or one and four, the loser of this game is facing that. With Atlanta sitting at four and one, that's that's a tough ass to come back from that. Well, let's let's touch briefly on the Saints. We only got a couple minutes left here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this Saints team. First question is uh, that is the wide receiving core of the Saints as loaded as I think it is? Yeah, it really is. And how much I mean, fun is Willie Sneed to watch? He's fun. Michael Thomas is fun. I mean, Brandon Cooks is fun. I mean, it's it's you know. Getting to watch teams on tape, I mean, there are sometimes when, you know, you, you might think that like grinding through tape is, you know, a grind like people say it is. But then you get a chance to watch 50 plays of Sean Payton's offense with Cooks and Thomas and Snead running all over the place. And those guys are fun to watch. They really are. They, they need consistency at the tight end spot. I mean, Fleener had one nice game against Atlanta, I think, on Monday night. But other than that, it's kind of been a dark hole. And, you know, you've got Thomas, you've got Snead, you've got Cooks. They can do some fun things. But you need that guy sort of in the middle of the field that when you see cover two, he can just run that seam route and he's a threat. And you hold those safeties and then you let those three guys go to work on the outside against single coverage. You need a guy like that. And so far, Fleener hasn't been that consistent threat. If he starts doing that, look out because that is a team that has the offensive weaponry. What's been the piece that's holding Fleener back? it's hard to say i it's just a lack of consistency i think i mean it's not like i mean there are times when he runs really good routes there are times when you know he can win at the catch point shows good hands but there are times when he just has some questionable drops or the route isn't quite what it needs to be and so it's i don't know if it's learning the offense i don't know what it is but some consistency there from him that offense could take off anything uh when you when you talk about drew Brees. Not a young guy, 37 years old, turns 38 at the end of this season. Still clicking just the way he always has? Close to it, I think. I mean, you know, he's not blowing the doors off, but, you know, this is a team that's one of three. I mean, they've only put up 114 points on the year. Atlanta's got 175 already. But still, I mean, it, it, Sean Payton's offense is fun to watch. He's got some weapons. Breeze can still slint it. Um, Hasn't made any horrific decisions that I've seen. Um, you know, I might be missing a play or two in the back of my mind right now. But, you know, obviously, Breeze is still a good enough quarterback that with those weapons, they can put points on the board. Having having watched all of Breeze's uh, tape this year, how tall would you say he actually is? <sighs> I'm saying I'm 5'10". 5'10". So yeah. if I were to wear lifts... There's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance, man. It's okay. always a chance. Okay. I've, I've always, honestly, I, like, I used to play uh, a little bit of flag football with a uh, three-man line and everything, and we'd have guys that are like six feet tall, and I, I don't even know how you see like over those guys, let alone big six-foot-seven monsters. So it's uh, a lot of respect for that. A lot of respect for the little guy getting on the toes, floating it over the top of the line. Yeah, I mean, it. it's difficult. And I'll say this. I mean, that's... You know, my listed height was 5'10", 5'11". I mean, I'm 5'10". I mean, you've met me. You know what? Yeah, I mean, look, you should have beefed up your listed height a little bit. I probably should have, but I mean, I'm not a tall guy. And I could tell from my playing days that the number one problem that 
my height really had wasn't so much from my end, but it was for the receivers. They didn't know where you were in the ball. They pocket. didn't know where I was, and they didn't know where the ball would be coming from because they couldn't see me from, you know, if they're running the dig road over the middle, they look back towards the pocket. They see the offensive line. They don't see me, and then suddenly the ball comes out from out of nowhere. I mean, it's like – By the same token, the cornerback shouldn't either, so you shouldn't have thrown a single interception. Yeah, shouldn't have, but here we are. Well, welcome to the party. Hey, that, always a party. That's the NFC South, buddy. There we go. Wrapped. Good signed, to be back. Signed, sealed, delivered. Back in progress. Tomorrow we got our plays of the week. We got Kicker Friday coming up on Friday. What else are you going to do with your time? Make sure you subscribe. Get us every single day of the week. We're back. We're ready to roll. We'll catch you tomorrow. Tomorrow.